You're listening to a Mint podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Sketch. I'm your host Shrudijit. I'm a Delhi-based journalist and the editor-in-chief of Mint. In today's episode, we're going to talk about microchips and semiconductors. How these tiny, tiny things are the beating heart of modern life, powering everything from our phones to cars to airplanes and nuclear plants, whatnot. To my mind, making microchips is among the most complex things that mankind does. Everything is really unfathomably tiny. The width of a strand of human hair is hundred thousand nanometers. The size of the transistor. on these kind of chips which are the size of your fingernails is just 7 nanometers those are the kind of chips that are in your uh, iphone for instance in the post covid world semiconductors have also acquired a geopolitical dimension india is keen to get semiconductor chips made in india and has committed subsidies of 10 billion dollars and more to bring in semiconductor manufacturing here these are incredibly complex to manufacture while the transistors might be invisible to the human eye making them need mega factories big investments and large land parcels to speak to us about all of this today with me is david reed ceo of vedanta foxconn semiconductors david is a veteran of the semiconductor industry who has worked in the chips business around the world he is an avid hiker and a collector of toyota land cruises of a very specific vintage. Yes sir. David, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the sketch. Thank you for inviting me and uh I'm very excited to be here with you and your audience and uh now I'm uh, full-time in India. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. You're a person of great interest uh the semiconductor project or this idea that India is going to set up fabs and and make these uh, semiconductor chips um has attracted a lot of skepticism. uh you are sort of the you know this person with a lot of experience and having actually made these things worked in these you know giga factories who has landed here and is about to embark um on uh, on this crazy project um i mean i say crazy because of how wildly ambitious uh, it is and what the kind of hurdles uh, that are uh, that are before it um what are your first impressions uh, of this country and of this project This is India's moment and I would truly believe India is in the right place at the right time with the right idea with the right drive and uh India is well known for its uh intelligence its drive its ambition uh India if you go to any uh company that's in semiconductor uh in users you ask the question where is your work done and they mention the same cities in india uh the ip the it the system software so this is a very unique moment for india because there's a lot of the uh, brain power already here working on electronics and semiconductor but what is missing is the engine and that engine is the ability to make a semiconductor wafer uh where it's designed here manufactured here tested here packaged here So you might think of it as a closed loop turnkey made in India semiconductor. So the wafer which is the foundation of a microchip 
the silicon wafer mm-hmm. is that the foundational block of this industry it's one of many things uh think of a wafer as like a it's 300 millimeters across and that's the industry that, that's what the size of a fingernail broadly uh, no sir that's about uh uh 300 millimeters is the wafer is like a, a large platter a dinner ah, platter right okay right, right. and uh, this wafer is cut very thin and uh the wafer is what you manufacture the chips on and uh a typical wafer can have anything from uh if you have one of these very large system on a chip type chips you may have 2000 to 3000 on a wafer uh some companies have 40 to 80000 chips on a wafer the same wafer and uh, this wafer is the substrate that is the basis of all the engineering the chemistry the the physics the light the intellectual property is built on that wafer uh once you manufacture the wafer you use a laser and you scribe it just cut it up like a chocolate bar right and you take each one of those and you test them and then you wrap it in a uh package so it can be protected and that goes on a circuit board and then that goes into your phone or your uh iPad or your TV So so the laser that cuts it uh, I mean at what point are the circuits sort of drawn on this chip and the transistors integrated So these well? circuits uh, a transistor and I I I'm not going to go through Moore's law or we'll we'll be here all day but the um a typical transistor think of it this way the latest bleeding edge transistors are probably the width of your DNA in your cell and the mainstream transistors are probably the width or half the width of a red blood cell in your blood that's just one transistor and a chip can have anywhere from uh several billion to the sky's the limit depending on 3D stacking uh 2D layouts So uh I won't say it's infinite but you could have 20 30 billion transistors on a chip. And the more transistors you have on a chip, the more ability that that chip can do things in different conditions, different states, um different applications. So when you say a chip is say, you know, 7 nanometer chip, what you're actually referring to is the size of the transistors on it. Yes sir. Or rather the width of the transistor the width of the transistor and i think of a transistor um and there's two types of chips there's analog which uh the signal controls on and off and then there is digital and it's either on or off a zero or a one and so the chips we're talking about here are digital they're zero or one and then once you print that transistor you you can uh control it and turn it on or off and what does that mean is think of a like a water hose and it's running water and you turn the faucet off the transistor's off you twist it on the transistor's on so that zero or one sends a signal to the next series of transistors and so you have a logic of uh instructions on that chip and then on t- the chip is run by software called firmware and uh, you and I don't see that but that's sort of like uh, think of a city 
in the city blocks, and all the uh, intersections are controlled by uh, signal lights on and off. And you have this signal going around the chip, and you have different lights coming on and off. Think of it that way, like a little miniature city. And depending on what the instruction set is, it's either telling you something, it's either uh, crunching numbers for you, or even it's storing numbers for you, like a memory chip. So the logic of a chip is actually printed into it at the time of manufacturing itself? Yes, sir. And a typical chip, um, so for the audience, think of if you were to pull out a map of a city, okay, and you look at this map, if you were to look at a microchip, it would look like that map of a city. You have all these blocks. Uh, this block does division. This block does uh, multiplication. This block does something special. Uh, this block stores memory. This block controls uh, the other blocks. And so you look at that, and uh, depending on the application of the chip, um, you may want to move a lot of transistors or you may want to move a few transistors, and this gets into the voltage. You know, how do you move all that? And so what we do, this chip starts off on with the silicon, and you have a series of steps that are repetitive over and over and over. And uh, some, uh, you do that step maybe 40 to 50 times. Uh, some chips do that three or 400 times, all on the same wafer. And so back to my analogy of the city, you're stacking layers on top of each other, uh, one through 600 uh, steps, and each step is different. And you're going to print it with lithography. You're going to etch it with electrons to remove the material. Uh, you're going to clean it with ultra-pure water. Uh, you're going to clean it again, and then you, print the ne- you deposit another layer. And then you print the pattern again and repeat just over and over and over. And uh, back to my comment on how small these things are, you can't have any defects on these wafers. Uh, One, uh, the defect can cause the chip not to work. The chip could uh, work in a way that you won't discover because of the defect. Or you may have a latent defect that shows up, you know, you click the button on your TV, doesn't turn on. Um, So there's a lot of technology uh, for the audience, when you walk through a wafer fab, at least for me, it's almost a religious experience. You, you, you just can't believe humans have invented this stuff. It, it is, it is um, you walk through there and there's nothing else you can relate to outside of that factory that you can compare. It's, uh, the machines are automated, the machines are... Uh, the size of a small SUV. Uh, The average machine may be anywhere from $9 million to $160 million, uh, depending on what you're going to print. And then on top of this, you have just tons of robots, automation. Uh, I just can't describe to anyone, uh, unless you walk through there and you see the knowledge of so many humans pulled together from around the world, working together to uh, bring a product on time that a customer wants at a profit. And those are key words in semiconductor. 
that's so well put david i mean uh, you describe it as a religious experience and, and i can totally relate to it i mean you know when you're in the presence of a lot of science and technology i mean it's one thing it's really the accumulation of i mean all of human understanding in many ways but it's also sort of the pinnacle of high precision manufacturing right i yes, mean you, you talk about six sigma and you know close to no error of margin but this is there is no margin for error there is no margin uh, in the the key in semiconductor is um repeatability uh predictability consistency uh discipline um i've seen factories um contaminated by the wrong screw in a machine that corroded and ended up scrapping millions of dollars i've seen machines that had a crack in a pipe millions of dollars uh scrap so there uh, i'm not saying these factories run um like a gyroscope and you know never have an issue but you know the type of people working in these these factories type of people designing the systems that run these factories uh the scientists that invent this stuff uh he or she um it is it's not the effort of one person or one nation it is the effort as you mentioned of hundreds of thousands of humans that have worked together to bring this and you know i i really do when you walk through there you think about god you think about how how is this all possible are you a person of faith yes deeply um you know i want to hear a little bit about your own career and let me put it this way um you're a person who has come to this country to to lead and shepherd this project of incredible importance uh, to us strategically and otherwise there is a lot of interest around it as you probably already have found out and you will yeah. go on to yeah um so can you broadly tell us uh, david um, about the projects you've done in the past what gives you the confidence that you can set up a high precision incredibly complex operation in a country that's you know i mean of course now we are sort of beginning to make some mark in manufacturing but we're not really there uh, in terms of high precision manufacturing um, on the global stage um what makes you confident that you can do it it's going to be a multifaceted answer but the first i think a lot of people are selling india short um japan didn't have factories taiwan didn't have factories china didn't have factories malaysia didn't have factories Germany didn't have factories. Italy, France, England, um United, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of this came from the United States. So, uh I would say uh people would need to give India a break. Uh I mean, my goodness, uh name something that the Indian country hasn't done that other people have done. Okay, this is just one more thing. Um the the issue here is uh, historically um India's, you know, it's just a a different place to do business in. And I think now the environment is more of a pull. And that's what you want. This is so complex. I mean, it's you probably have 50 or 60 countries supplying materials, machines, people, a design, and uh there's this pull now. So it's a, it's a lot different. Um and there's motivation. I mean uh, everywhere I've gone I can't say enough about uh 
the Indian government, uh, the meetings I've been is, is, is they're just, this is so important. Um, and it is a, a national imperative. And, you know, you say, why did you come here? You could have done a lot of other things, ranching or uh, other semiconductor companies. But when someone said, it will be the first in India, I said, I'm in, because uh, I know it can be done. Uh, so on the India part, I think uh, that we can pull it off. Um, as far as myself, um, I have um, just, I am cursed with the need to know. Um, I have such insatiable curiosity. Uh, my breadth of interest and stuff just, it impedes me. A one lifetime is not enough to know what I want to know. And uh, when I first started in semiconductors, I didn't even know what that was. And uh, thankfully, my first supervisor, Susan Bowman, a wonderful woman, uh, hired me and uh, took time and trained me. And, um, you know, uh, semiconductors is about uh, problem solving. It is, uh, you have to have an insatiable curiosity. You have to be able to solve problems. You have to have incredible wherewithal. I mean, the work-life balance uh, I'm going to confess, I'm a big violator of that. I have never worked a day in my life. And I think that's due to the semiconductor. It is just so interesting. It it has physics. It has chemistry. It has light. It has electrical. It has just mechanical. It is everything under the sun. And it fits in my wheelhouse. And early in my career... Uh, I I don't watch TV. Um, I've never been a TV person. I read books. Uh, I have a very extensive library to the point that my wife has taken away my credit card, and I'm not allowed on Amazon anymore. But uh, the uh, just uh, the amount of knowledge that you have to have in semiconductor is staggering, and. Um, it's a lot of training. It's uh, a, lot, a lot of experience. And so when I started in TI, I started, uh, my knack was problem solving. TI yeah, is Texas Instruments? Texas Instruments. And that's where I started. Um, I had a degree in chemistry and chemical engineering. Um, love of my life was uh, drilling for oil. and uh, Like a true Texan. A true Texan, yes. And... Uh, uh, that's been fun with Vedanta also because they right, have right, such right, extensive right, right, right. oil. Um, but I can't get distracted on that. Um, but, you know, the um, and you get in there, and what's great about Texas Instruments, you go as far as you can go. And so if you can solve problems, you get moved. And I had 18 assignments in uh, Texas Instruments. In the course of how many years? Uh, 26 years of software, design, packaging, tests, process, um, customers, business units, finance. Uh, and, and Texas Instruments at that point was making um, chips? Yes, sir. Uh, chips, uh, laptops. They were uh, in very many different things, but they focused on semiconductor. Uh, then they further focused on analog, is where they are now. Uh, I can't say enough about Texas Instruments as a, 
the integrity, the uh, ability to execute. That was instrumental in my formation in semiconductor. Right. And, and you were based? Um... Dallas. Uh, they moved me to Japan. They moved me to um, uh, Singapore. They moved me to Italy. So I've always been a person to go where the action is. And, um, you know, it's benefited me because I've, I've met a lot of people in Semiconductor. And what's been exciting about this project is just the sheer number of people that have contacted me saying, hey, I want to be part of this. Nice, nice. Mm. Um, so 26 years at Texas Instruments, and then what did you do after that? So then uh, I went to Global Foundries. Uh, uh, Which is an Intel company. No, uh, Global Foundries was a spinoff of AMD. Right, right. Okay, and um, AMD made the decision to go fab light. Uh, in our industry, you have uh, companies like Texas Instruments, uh, On, uh, Intel, where they design the chip and they actually build the chip. Then you have companies that are fabulous like Qualcomm, uh, AMD, um, uh, Apple, where they design the chip and then they contract with a foundry to manufacture that. Uh, Global Foundries was such a company. And uh, Global sent me to uh, Dresden, Germany. And uh, I was there for two years for the 28 nanometer uh, R&D and launch of 28 nanometer uh, as a product line. And, and was that a Greenfield new project? No, that, that factory uh, was started in the early 90s um, after the fall of the Berlin Wall when unification of uh, Germany occurred. And uh, AMD took the bold step to say, I want to tap into um, the German engineering. So after Dresden, uh, where did life take you? So what's really uh, kind of cool about semiconductors is it's very large, but it's a very small cadre of people that know everyone. And whenever there's an opening, you immediately think of who do you want on your team. So it's a global brotherhood of people or brotherhood, sisterhood of people who feel it and they're walking into a fab, yeah? Absolutely. And, you know, I won't list all the names, but every company, there's five or six people that you know uh, that you've either worked with. There's a lot of career hopping uh, opportunities in uh, Semiconductor. And uh, so uh, Greg Lowe, a uh, fantastic person, CEO of um, Wolfspeed right now, he was selected to be the CEO of Freescale. Uh, turnaround. And I was at Dresden at the time and he calls me up and he says, hey, you want to move back to Texas and uh, either be a zero or a hero. It's one letter difference. And uh, he said, come to Freescale. And I remember saying, oh, you know, there are certain companies in A category, B category, C category. Uh, at that time, th that company was not in any of those categories. What is Freescale? Who owned it? Uh, I mean, uh, fantastic companies, mediocre companies, companies in trouble. And Freescale was definitely a company in trouble. And they brought Greg in. And so he calls me up and says, hey, uh, help me. Uh, turn this around. And, and what did they do? They made... Uh... They made chips. Uh, they were very uh, heavily automotive and uh, uh, communications and microcontrollers. They were a spinoff of Motorola semiconductor right. systems. Right, right. 
And so uh, for the next three years, we turned Freescale around. What's the genesis of the word Freescale? It's some kind of a mathematical thing. No, uh, you know, I worked there for three years and I finally asked. (laughs) And I said, what does Freescale mean? It means climbing the side of a mountain without a rope. Right, 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 right. Without a rope. Right, freescaling, yes. And I didn't know, and this just shows how clueless I was uh, working there for three years and finally asking, what's freescale mean? Because I thought it was such a strange name. Um, And then, uh, and the world is so small. Then another person, uh, Greg Lowe, a former TIer, and another great person um, was uh, uh, the CEO of NXP, Rick Klemmer. uh, decided that he wanted to take over Freescale. And when you have a, a takeover or a merger like that, um, you know, they line everybody up against the wall. I'm being very brutal here. And they say, uh, we want you, 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 you. And uh, I got selected to be um, the executive vice president of technology and operations uh, for um, NXP. And, uh, and, and for the merged entity. So there yes, would be both companies. And, and what is NXP Genesis ownership? NXP was a spinoff of uh, Philips. And you see a recurring theme here that as semiconductors became more expensive, uh, several things happened. Uh, it's a very capital intensive. Uh, like, as we mentioned, this factory will be anywhere from seven and a half to eight and a half billion dollars. Uh, the latest wafer fabs you see in the news are anywhere from 18 to $26 billion. Those, those are the 7 to 4 nanometer chips. Yes, sir. Yeah. And people can't afford that. Which which countries make those? Only Taiwan at this point? Uh, Taiwan and uh, the United States and Korea. And I'm sure there are locations in uh, uh, China that are attempting to do that. Right. Sorry, let's. I, I broke your flow. Uh, you were yeah. talking about um, the recurring theme where companies spun off their uh, semiconductor. Yeah, emissions. so they, you know, the companies spun off as IPOs uh, uh, their semiconductor operations. They just became too expensive uh, because semiconductor is on this 18 month cycle of being on the next node. So you go from uh, 65 nanometer, then you're going to be at 45, then 40, then 32, then 28. Uh, Then you're going to be on 16, 14. So you see this slope of technology, and each one of those nodes are billions of dollars to develop. You also have to invest in step with the technological progress, right? If you get that investment wrong and the timing wrong, you can lose a lot of money. You're in big trouble. And uh, back to this problem solving. Um, You know, if you miss the problem or invest too late or don't have the right technology or don't have enough capacity because you didn't have the money to buy the machines, you miss the window. And so in semiconductors, uh, back to as each node drops you get more and more chips per wafer. So I'll make a story up. If uh, uh, These aren't the real numbers, but if a chip on uh, 65 nanometer was a dollar, uh, on 45 it would be 70 cents. 
on uh, uh, 40 nanometer, it may be uh, 50 cents. You get to 28, it'd be 35 cents. And you see, because you have more and more chips per wafer, and uh, let's say you spend $100 per wafer and you have more and more chips, the cost per chip drops. Right, right. And so if you're late and I'm on time, my cost is 35 cents. Your cost is a dollar. You're not going to be selling at the same, you're not going to make the same money that I'm going to make. But, you know, I'm a bit mystified by this crazy arms race to make smaller and smaller. For most applications, right, I mean, there's no advantage to, like in a washing machine, which has a certain form factor, or a television which has a certain form factor, there is no advantage to putting a smaller chip in it, right? It depends. Um, You know, each um, application has its own sweet spot. I mean, if you're going to, again, make a story up, if I buy a washing machine and it has $8 worth of semiconductors and it does the job, um, you know, okay. Um, But if I have a smart washer, and I believe me, this stuff exists. I I didn't believe it till my (laughs) wife showed me. uh, That's connected to the uh, network of your house that tells you the wash is done. Or the better one I saw was a refrigerator that knew what was in it and would order your groceries. And so, you know, that $8 worth of semiconductors now is, I'm making this up, $25. And so, you know, uh, it's all about complexity and simplification. And if you have, um, you know, uh, eight chips in there and I can do it with one in a smaller form factor... Uh, at a lower cost, net cost, then, you know, it makes sense to go down the node. Uh, Not everything has to go down the node. So it becomes more and more expensive to manufacture smaller and smaller nodes. But the end product for for the B2B buyer of that chip, that actually becomes cheaper and cheaper. If, If the chip stays the same... Now, here's the issue. No one wants to stay the same. Right. Everybody wants to glom on uh, new applications, new things. And so that chip may have controlled temperature. Now that chip controls temperature. It controls who has access. It now has uh, connectivity to your land and your house. It now talks to the um, cloud. It may have to drive a camera. And so what that little chip, if you left everything alone, the cost would have gone massively down. Right. But it, now its capabilities are Its capabilities are just going off the chart. And that's you have this cost curve going down, but you have the additions of ability of what a chip needs to do going up. And so the complexity of the chip goes up. And back to you know that arms race you mentioned, you want more chips per wafer. And so what you do, if you have the same number of chips on a wafer, you shrink the transistors. Okay? And so now you have the same area of chip, but it may do 30 times more what it did in a previous node. This is one thing I've struggled to comprehend. They actually print on a, on a chip of the size, a chip the size of your fingernails. Mm-hmm. They actually print... Two billion transistors. It's all over the place. It can be in the billions, or I've seen chips so small 
probably the size of um, four periods printed on a piece of paper. I mean, they're so small. They look, they're smaller than the flakes of pepper. Um, and that is a chip, and on that, there are transistors. That yes, are sir. Yes, sir. But those transistors, I mean, but, but you don't print a circuit on a chip. Yes, you do. You uh, do. So back to my analogy of the map of a city. Uh, if you were to lay out uh, Delhi, and I'm discovering Delhi is uh, a lot larger than it appears, uh, because uh, I was on approach uh, ye- uh, yesterday morning, and I was like, gosh, when is the airport going to show up? I mean, you just flew and flew and flew over this massive city. and uh, But if you were to take a map of Delhi and say, okay, um, and then you were to look at a map of a chip, you would, and you stand back, it would look almost the same. You know, uh, a chip is more regimented and square and rectangulars and stuff. But uh, it, it's, a, it's a layout. And so what happens on that layout, you want to either shrink it, and you shrink it and have it do more. So you double the size of it, but you have it do four to eight times more things because you printed the circuits. So what we do, we take the wafer, we print the outline of the chip, the rows, the tops, the edges. Then we come back and we print within that square the circuits. Okay? And within that square of circuits are the billions of transistors that you're going to form. And then you go through all the different layers. Now the tyranny of numbers you got billions of transistors, you have to connect them together. And so you take a layer of metal, uh, it's very complex, and you have to connect every transistor into a, and that's the circuit. And uh, so, you so know. the circuit must actually be smaller than the width of the transistors, right? No, the circuit is, the transistors are the smallest unit. Okay. And then the circuit is uh, a composition of all these different uh it can be anything from a four-transistor circuit to a, a circuit with millions of transistors to do something. And, and what is the material that is used to draw the circuits? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it depends on the node. I'll simplify this. Um, it's uh, something called polysilicon, which is a, um, a form of silicon that's not crystalline all the way. And uh, I won't go into the, the uh, physics and the electrical issues of that. And that is the on-off switch of the transistor, okay? And then you have to, uh, just like in your house, uh, an electrical cord, you have to have rubber insulator around the cord because you don't want to be shocked or you don't want to short. And so we have to insulate all these transistors and then... We insulate the transistors from, depending on the application, the transistor to the left or to the right, or the transistor on the bottom or the top. So you have insulator levels. But to connect those transistors, now you have to drill a hole to connect each one of these. And, uh, you know, these holes are um, uh, like little wells, like a water well. Just think of it that way. And you make that well, and then you fill it full of metal, and then you make the next level of transistors, and then you insulate, and then you 
coat it with metal, insulate, coat it with metal, insulate. In each one of those steps, you have something with the, the connectors, the vias, from one level to another. What is the metal that you use? It, it depends. It can be anywhere from uh, um, uh, titanium, tungsten, um, copper, t- uh, titanium nitride, uh, you know, the, the jewelry, the gold that you see on your watch or your jewelry that you say, wow, that looks very nice gold. That's uh, titanium nitride. So the wafer itself is silicon. Yes, sir. And then what other materials, uh, apart from the ones that you just mentioned, mm. uh, goes into an IC? Uh, you have insulator levels, you have protection levels, um, you have uh, stress levels. Um, if you were to make a sandwich, okay, and you have just a simple sandwich, a top layer of bread and a bottom layer of bread. Now, what if I came to you and I said, I want you to make 10 layers of bread and each between each one of those is going to be the sandwich. And then I tell you, I want you to cut that. You got a big problem on your hands, right? Because you're not going to cut through those 10 layers of bread. So a very, very simple story. But the issue is you have to design. So when you cut the chip or you do these processes, it doesn't break apart. It doesn't have stress in it that it would just peel apart. So there's a lot of physics, a lot of engineering on adhesion, on uh, um, the mechanical properties of the material. And you're asking what it could be. It can be silicon dioxide. It can be silicon nitride. Um, it can be types of um, um, uh, polymers. Um, but the, the really interesting thing about semiconductors are the chemicals that you use to make it that are not part of the chip. Nitrogen, oxygen, argon, um, uh, phosphorus, uh, boron, um, uh, hydrochloric acid, uh, sulfuric acid. Some of this material, um, I'm told, needs to be of a kind of purity that does not even exist in India. Well, I would say it probably some of this stuff exists, but it's never been applied. Right. Okay, and when in the case of this new factory, you have a new country, a new team, um, a new everything. You know, I I was going through the list. There's like uh, 16 news things that we have to go address. Um, And, you know, if if you have that supplier in India, you're not and they're unproven. I'm not saying they're not capable. They're just not proven yet. So you don't want to build this factory, plug in somebody that's not done it before, and then find out you have a yield problem or a contamination problem. So you might have to bring in a supplier from overseas. Yes, sir. That has experience of right. working in the industry. And a lot of these suppliers are motivated to develop domestic sources. Right. Okay. Because, you know, they get tired of flying this stuff on a 747 or a MD-11 or, you know, a a 777. Um, And they would prefer to develop that expertise in India. And again, you know, you look at India, 50% of the population is under the age of 28. 
has an incredible university system. I mean, the brain power here is just staggering. And so you bring in these suppliers that are based in Korea, Japan, Europe. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure the government will do everything they can to ease them in. And they, they, I would predict they will develop domestic partners uh, to supply, you know, silicon-grade gases, uh, solids, uh, acids, um, just you name it. How many suppliers does a factory like the one? Well, I, interesting, and don't hold me to it. I was, I, again, I read so much, I can't always remember where I read it. Um, I think that I saw the five nanometer, three nanometer factory being built in Arizona. I had a thousand suppliers. And we probably have around 600, 700. And of that 600, 700, there's probably about 200 that are big chunks of money, uh, capital outlays. And of those, there's probably 35 that are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's probably three or four that are in the billion range. So those suppliers, um, and this is what's fascinating. Um, those suppliers have to have technicians, engineers. Uh, they're going to want local supply, right? They're not going to fly in everything. So they want to develop a uh, local ecosystem that feeds them. Right. So they'll tap into this brain trust that India has. Right. And, and there is a across-the-spectrum technology transfer, right? Across materials, yes. metals, gases. Yes. Right, all of that. Yes. That's great. Um, can we talk a little bit about the Dholera project? Where does it stand? What are the timelines? Um, what have you done already? Like, do you already know that, you know, what size the building is going to be? Has the building been designed? Has the layoff of the building, uh, the factory inside been determined? Or all of that is work that's ahead of you? So um, let's just talk about the site itself. Uh, so we, I've been there personally twice. Um, Foxconn is responsible for building the factory. And uh, I w I've spent a quite a bit of time in, in uh, Taiwan looking at all that. But uh, I can't say enough about the Dolera team. Um, they're working around the clock trying to figure out how they're going to accommodate this, this monstrosity. Okay, it's never been done before. So there's a lot of uh, uh, specifications, uh, applications, um, criteria that have to be met because if you're going to put a seven and a half million dollar building on a piece of soil you need to make sure that's the right soil so we've gone through that uh as of today they're leveling the site uh oh the work has already started yes sir yes sir so but but your project needs i mean it still needs the approval of the central government right it's all approved everything's approved oh, really yeah oh so the work on the land has begun um, you're awaiting the government's decision on whether this project is eligible for uh, the capital subsidies that it is providing. Yeah. Um, how hopeful are you that it'll come through, number one, and how soon do you think it'll come through? Uh, very hopeful. Um, we've had several meetings with the authorities in the works in progress. Uh, we're going to follow the process. I would expect that to happen soon. 
Um, what have been the sort of top questions or concerns that the committee has asked you in the course of reviewing this project? Well, it's, it's very important. Uh, and I understand the level of um, questioning and um, scrutiny because it is a uh, effort using public money. And, you know, you have um, – it doesn't exist in India – uh, we have two fantastic companies. Um, you know, we have one company, Foxconn, uh, $220 billion a year revenue. Uh, Foxconn purchases over $60 billion of electronic components. I mean, uh, I, I may have the wrong number, 1.3 million employees uh, located all over the world. Just the breadth and depth of this partner is staggering. And then on the other side, you have uh, Vedanta, which is uh, a very great company. And um, it's very heavily invested in what I would say extraction, you know, uh, metals, uh, oil, and gas. And I can't say enough about the chairman and the management team. Um, they're all in. Uh, they do have experience with technology. I mean, if you look at fiber optics, you look at the LCD panels, um, displays, uh, this is not something, you know, uh, it's new, but it's not something unfamiliar. But that said, it's semiconductor, you know, and that's a whole different level. So even Foxconn does not make semiconductors? Yeah, yes, they do. Uh, they have several small wafer fabs that are specialty fabs, but they don't have a 300-millimeter mega high-volume fab. But, you know, they have uh, hired hundreds of engineers. Uh, I've personally met with them uh, can't say enough about Elong and uh, Dr. Bob Chin. Sorry, they have hired engineers for this project yes. already? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, Foxconn is responsible for bringing the factory, providing the technology, doing the transfer. Um, and they also have about 37% of equity in the yes. project. Yes. It's a 63-37 um, JV. So that's the capital they will bring in. Yes. Well, not, it's, they're still working on the, the capital. But, you know, you, the other reason I mentioned that, you also have, now have the government funding, which will match uh, what the JV puts in. Right. And so, you know, it's due diligence. I mean, they're doing, the government's doing the right thing. They're asking the questions. Right. So in this process, what had happened was the government first invited expressions of interest. And there was a 45-day window, after which they closed the window. And there were mm -hmm. about, I think, three mm -hmm. or four um, candidates uh, mm -hmm. in the running. Now, the government is opening that window again. Sure. It is, you know, it's open to interpretation. But certainly, one interpretation could be that it stems or the decision has been prompted by a sort of lack of confidence in the existing candidates. I disagree with that. Um no, I, I mean, this is a flywheel effect. And the first person that goes in, there's going to be a number two, number three, number four. And I think what uh, is happening is now that they see the success of the uh, Vendanta Boxcon effort, they see this thing coming together. They see us hiring world-class talent. They see Foxconn hiring all these people. I can't go into the details of the technology. We've secured uh, a manufacturing-grade technology. 
Um, so people see this coming together, and we would welcome other companies coming to India. Back to my comment of the more semiconductor that resides in India, the more the pull will be for the suppliers to actually locate here in India and not support us from Japan, Korea, U.S., or you know Singapore or Europe. So the this this mass of this gravitas of wafer processing you you want you don't want to set this off to the side and say okay only these guys are going to do it i i welcome these other applicants to come in because it helps all of us right. a rising tide raises all ships absolutely and and an ecosystem is really critical ecosystem for ecosystem ecosystem um having said that i mean another sort of um, hurdle perhaps um, at the moment. I mean, as an observer of the project and everything that's going on, um, another question mark is around the financial headwinds being faced by one of your parents, uh, Vedanta, around the, uh, around the refinancing of some of their debt and all of that. Um, do you think that creates a perception issue um, for the project ahead of the government uh, subsidy approval? I, you know, be very open to you. I've been so focused on this project, uh, on the infrastructure, the technology, hiring the people. Um, you know, I, I have not even spent one second on the, the stories uh, around that. I can tell you this, that uh, Vendanta and the chairman and Foxconn, the Foxconn chairman, are all in. I have no doubt that uh, the funding will be there. I have no doubt the commitment of these two companies. Uh, you know, there's uh, noise around this, and it's just lack of information or timing of the information. Right now, the key thing is to get the government approval uh, for the in, uh, government investment because it, it's very expensive. And people may ask, well, you know, you know how, how, how can you do this? Well, the problem is there's no infrastructure. So you have to build that infrastructure, and on top of that, you have to build the factory, and on top of that, you have to buy the technology. On top of that, you have to go get the people. On top of that, you have to have a social ecosystem around this to attract the world's best talent. So, yeah, it's, there's a lot of moving parts to it, but I have no doubt that these two uh, mothers and fathers are going to make this happen. And, and the returns on this investment happens over a long period of time, right? It's, it's you know, this, this is going to take, we will uh, have the first shovel in the ground ceremony this fall, October, okay. November. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, it's all hands on deck. Uh, we are hiring the best we can worldwide. How many people will you be hiring for this project? Uh, I, once the factory's up and running, probably around, uh, I say a low number is 1,300. And then depending on how what else we're going to be doing, could be approaching 2,000 people. Um, and then, you know, the, but uh, we'll have 1,500 people on the site this year for construction. And that will climb to over 3,500 people next year, uh, construction. So uh, it's not, you know, while the government is going through their, their process, which they should do, as any other government would do, um, you know, we're going full speed ahead, 100 miles an hour. And uh, we're working with suppliers. Um, we're working with the technology suppliers. 
Uh, we've already started talking to potential customers. So, you know, just the amount of interest on this has been incredible. So you already have a team that's sort of negotiating with suppliers, tying up those contracts, figuring out logistics. All of that work is already on. Yes, the, the Foxconn team, back to these 200-plus people, there's a procurement team, there's an engineering team, right. there's a, uh, a finance team. So they're all working that right there's now. There's a 200-plus person team at Foxconn there, I, You know, working. I don't know the exact number, but right. there are a lot. Of engineers working on this project. Uh, have you have you met all of them? No, I plan to. Right. Uh, but I, again, uh, Dr. Bob Chen and um, you know my partner at Foxconn, Elong, have done an incredible job attracting talent right. for right. this project. Right. right. Um, tell us more about the timelines, uh, David. So first shovel in the ground uh, in October. Uh, when does the construction finish? Immediately. Uh, well, let's say the end goal. And this is what counts. People need to count. Remember, uh, we have to supply a product a customer wants on time at a profit. And our objective is to have the first revenue wafer in the first quarter, first half of 2027. So you can work backwards. I mean, as the next 22 months, once that uh, shovel hits the ground, it is all hands on deck for 22 months to build the shell, build the utilities, uh, build the infrastructure, um, uh, have the equipment arrive, um, you know, build the interior. And, you know, back to your comment, you know, the contamination, are the suppliers all qualified? Um, you know, and it is going to be a cast of thousands of people. My, my head is spinning just considering yeah. the amount of work ahead of you, David. But it's doable. It's been done. I mean, there's over 50 factories under construction right now worldwide. Um, every day you see an announcement of an extension or a new factory. So, uh, And we're not doing anything uh, inventive here. And this is key. Um, these two nodes, the 40 nanometer and the 28, are volume nodes. And that's where we want to be. Uh, we want to do volume. We don't want to build and uh, spend all this money and then have a few thousand wafers come out. We want 40,000 wafers shipped every month for revenue by, you know, it'll take us from 2027 to 2029 to ramp up the factory. And for, say, from 27, uh, when the first wafer comes out, for another 10 years, right, uh, you're confident that that size of nod. Uh, 28 will remain in demand and oh, use? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's different trends going on now. Back to our earlier conversation. Um, if you were to go on a 5 nanometer part, you're looking at uh, one design anywhere from 250 to $500 million. One design. That's just the design. We're not talking about the printing. We're not talking about the wafers. So... You know, on some of these products on an advanced node, you're looking at 750 to $900 million just for one product. And just on the design of it? Uh, the design in the prototypes in verification of the design. And, and the design is what you pay ARM? Uh, there's all kinds of third-party. ARM is one of many uh, out there. Um, but, you know, you would spend e easily $250 million of your own money on your own designers using third-party software, third-party IP, your own IP. 
Um, and so, you know, that's rarefied atmospheric physics, okay? Not everybody is going to do that. And so the mainstream, back to my comment, will be the 28 and the 40. Take automotive. The, the, the volume uh, node for automotive just uh, two years ago was 55 nanometer, and now they're converting to 40. So 40 has a long ways to go for automotive as a supply. And then there will be 28 after that, right. okay? And so you're making both 40 and 28. Yes, sir, right. in parallel. Right. And for the audience, you know, you install the 40, you spend all that money on the 40, uh, anywhere from uh, 70 to 85% of that 40 is reusable on the 28. So it's not like you're spending twice, right? There's only 13 types of machines difference between... Uh, 40 nanometer and 28. They're very expensive, right. but uh, that's better. 13 is better than hundreds. Right, right. And uh, David, tell us a little bit about the benefits of having a fab uh, to a country and its electronics manufacturing and other manufacturing ecosystems. One question that has emerged, of course, after the pandemic is the question of self-reliance, if there are supply chain disruption, etc., you don't want to be dependent on others and you, know, you have secure supply. But there is also a question of cost. Does the cost of final sort of electronics that we buy from the market, is that going to come down because we make chips here in India? Well, there's different things at play here. We'll peel the onion. Um, so number one, the um, pandemic or epidemic I don't know, uh, expose that any particular country with a tweet could stop everything. Now, I'm, I'm overemphasizing the tweet part, but, I mean, someone could snap their finger yeah. and say, nobody leaves a building. Correct. Well, you have a $15, $20 billion factory sitting there idle. What do you do? Okay. And so that um, having a supply that's predictable and is in terms of secure that you know when you place an order, it's going to provide you wafers. That's one aspect of it. So there, uh, the companies recognize just how complex the semiconductor food chain was, you know, uh, United States locked down, Japan locked down, Korea, everybody locked down. And depending on what factory was sitting in which country, uh, it just all went crazy. I mean, you can see that in the automotive market. Um, so there's that aspect of it. So you want to have uh, more lines of supply. Uh, the other thing that's going on is if you look at the semiconductor market, the content you know, yeah, the cost of the components are dropping, but what each component does is increasing. So not, you know, if you bought a mobile phone for $10 today, and I'm making that up, and, you know, through technology you think it's going to be $5, uh, you're wishful thinking, that phone's going to do 20 more things. It's going to cost twice as much. So there's that aspect of it. So the semiconductor market will almost hit a trillion dollars by 2030. So, you know, it's at 600, 700 now, going to a trillion. So the, the first part was secure my supply line. The second thing is I need more capacity. 
And then the third leg is the geopolitical. Um, you know, you could wake up one day and find out the world's upside down. And so customers are going, where else can I go? And so the answer is India, 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 for all three of those situations. Uh, David, when we talk to um, people in the ecosystem, um, look, I mean, this is not, as you probably know, this is not the first time that India has embarked on this project of trying to set up a fab. Um, you know, dating as far back as 2008, there have been projects of various kinds of government subsidy and so on. It's been an ongoing project for a long time. It hasn't really materialized so far and partly because of that, and partly, I suppose, because of the overall complexity, uh, there is a lot of skepticism around this round of India building fabs uh, kind of scenario where people, genuine technologists, who believe it's not going to happen. People are like, okay, we might be able to build a packaging facility, making fabs, not going to happen. Is this skepticism natural? Have you encountered it the other you projects know, that I, we welcome the skepticism. You're, you're only as strong as your... Uh, Worst you know, critics? <laughs> yes. I mean, right. you know, they make you think. Right. You know, and I'm okay with that. And, you know, they're bringing up valid points. But, you know, it is India's time. The, uh, the government's behind it. The people are behind it. Uh, the JV's behind it. Uh, Foxconn's behind it. Vendanta's behind it. The suppliers are behind it. Customers are behind it. So I think you have a much more um, positive dynamic that, you know, yeah, is this going to be easy? Absolutely not. Is it doable? Absolutely yes. How many hours a day do you plan on working over the, uh, all the way till 2027? Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there is no work life. Uh, I would, I, you know, typical work week, 80 hours probably or more. Uh, but like I said, I've never had a day of work in my life. Uh, because you enjoy it so I, much. I really, you just cannot describe the feeling when you get a team together with the right culture that's executing in unison for a common goal. It is just phenomenal. And, you know, on this note, you know, and, and I'm a big, big proponent of diversity. And I want to make sure everyone knows that everyone will be welcome to, to apply uh, to this endeavor. And so, you know, I've been, uh, you know, having, uh, uh, you know, 50% of the women graduates. I mean, they need to be applying. Uh, so we're going to make a real effort on diversity on this. But, you know, there's a time and place. You know, I don't care if the person's uh, blue. If they have the right expertise and they live in Venezuela or Brazil, come on board. But at some point, this has to be an all-Indian entity. But the key point is this thing needs to execute like a semiconductor company. It doesn't need to execute like an American company or an Indian company or a Korean company. It needs to be a world-class machine executing as a semiconductor foundry, a trusted foundry that we will not compete with our customers. We will be the benchmark supplier from India. Three most important things to be watchful of for a facility like the one that you're building. Um, 
you have to be very careful about dust of course like the company mm-hmm. dust the water has to be hyper pure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and the terrain has to be stable without right. much traffic around and all of that yes, is, is that how it works yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about yeah, all what three? are the key things here if you're going to put a 7 and a half billion dollar building uh, up somewhere uh in your printing okay let's think about this you're printing the transistor the width of a, a red blood cell um that building can't move that building can't vibrate okay and you know if the water table changes the consistency of the soil or if the you decide to add super heavy machines on a certain floor it can't vibrate so this is one of the things we've been working with Delaras this earthfill they have to put in you know 3 or 4 meters of special soil which they're doing now we're attempting to do now and then once we have the soil then you have to drive these pile drivings you know uh way down into the earth the the whole the, the building uh firmly to the earth so i say the key points will be you'll see the earth fill you'll see the the floor of the building the basement and then when you see the four walls but a key thing will be the roof when you see the roof goes up it's it's well on its way one of my favorite business stories from recent times is was this the new york times story about asml the dutch company that, yes that makes uh, that's the only company in the world that makes the machines uh, uh, that the prints the circuit yes right, right. Uh, tell us a little bit about asml why is it that there is only one company that that's able to do that i i've i have worked personally hundreds of hours with asml on a 28 nanometer and it is absolutely um back to the religious experience the physics involved is staggering in the precision the accuracy uh the repeatability uh you know and I'm not talking about printing one wafer an hour I'm pr- I'm talking printing 60 80 or 120 wafers an hour Uh I mean this thing looks like a printing press but you're printing you know uh transistors you know the size of a red blood cell I'm just work with me on that for a minute and so you integrate that and so there you know there's three really key companies Nikon Canon ASML and this relentless race of having the lowest cost most sorry which are the three the three lithography companies are Canon Canon the photography company. yes sir Really? Okay. Nikon? Again. Yes. Cameras. Yes. Well, the printing. Right. Think of the old film emulsion technology right, right. on the old film. That's basically what how we print a wafer. We coat it with a very photosensitive coating and we inject the light with a pattern. And so Nikon and Canon went into this business, very capable companies. but it's a horse race and ASML did the investment and they're benefiting from that now and they only make about six machines a year no i i can't go into details i don't know the latest numbers but they build hundreds of machines a year of different models right 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 maybe maybe the elite ones they only build very I, few and you know i stay away from euv uh uh because that's so expensive but i'm just going what is euv excimer laser based ultraviolet x-ray basically it's a soft x-ray uh it's a soft x-ray uh type of deep deep extreme deep uv light uh the machine is about the size of a bus 
uh, anywhere from 160 to 200 million dollars. So uh, I, I don't I don't want to be dealing with that. I'll let uh, the professionals deal with that. David, it's been really wonderful listening to you. It's been most instructive. I learned a lot uh, in the course of this conversation. Um, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to India and all the very best for your project. And uh, you've been an exceptional host, uh, and thank you. And I really want to thank the people of India. Um, I can't say enough. Um, I will leave with this. Perception does not match reality. And uh, I, I tell everyone this because when they said, you know, I'm taking this role and everybody's like, wow, this is this is like the Saturn moon rocket, you know. And uh, I said, yeah, this is fantastic. They go, but it's India. I go, so what? I mean, you guys, you need to understand India. And uh, I think more people need to come over here. And uh, this project will be successful. You've been you've been pleasantly surprised so far. Yes, very very surprised. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's just been great. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank, Thank you. you. That's it from me for this episode. You've been listening to the sketch. This episode was edited by Rajesh Jose. Mok Sharma is the producer of this show, and Sanju V Abraham is our sound engineer. You can email us with your thoughts on the sketch at livemint.com. For more updates on this podcast, follow HT Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. To listen to more such Mint podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. Goodbye and thanks for listening. To stay updated on this podcast, follow us at HT Smartcast on all the major social media platforms. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to www.htsmartcast.com. Hold up. 